Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50 luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns. The HIV epidemic is not over. HIV is still here. The face of HIV is so diverse. The biggest thing to reduce HIV stigma is just to talk about it. Testing and PrEP and HIV treatment and how effective it is today. Undetectable equals untransmittable. Whether you're positive or negative, there's not a wrong door. Whether it's testing or whether it's treatment, do it for you, Montgomery County. Learn more about HIV testing, treatment, and prevention at doitforyoumc.org. Scott Hansen here from NFL Red Zone. I hope you're checking out one hour of Five Yard Rush, one of the best podcasts on NFL football in the UK. Hello and welcome to the Five Yard Dynasty podcast. Hope everybody is doing well. Um, a difficult week for much of uh, much of England. How uh, how are you doing, Liam? Have you recovered yet? Yeah, I'm doing well. I think with, with what happened on Monday night, so. It, as of recording last night, uh, or the night before, sorry, on Sunday, it was a it was a difficult night. I, the five yard um, family group chat wasn't very active on Monday. I think we all held our <laughs> comments back until today. Um, but yeah, unfortunately, it didn't come home. But I'm excited for this team going forward in 2022 for the World Cup. Yeah. How, how are you doing, Rich? How did you find that final? Yeah, well, I, I think, I'll, I'll be honest, Liam, I think I deserve a medal for recording this pod because not only did I have to deal with the fact that it didn't come home on Sunday, but I've I've also got COVID at the moment. So I'm, uh, so, you know, you, you've, you've heard of the, the MJ flu game. You've heard of, you know, Terry Butcher playing with blood pouring out his head. I think this is, you know, going to go in that pantheon of gritting it out and, <laughs> and you know, toughing through it. I'm, I'm here with... With a with a lem sip and two pints of water, ready to to try and see me through. So, uh, the, but yeah, the I podcast mean, version of playing with an injury. Exactly that. Exactly that. No, in, in all seriousness, I'm I'm 
on the mend, I'm out, out the back end. I had a bad 24 hours, but apart from that, I'm, I'm good as gold. So I, I shouldn't joke and I shouldn't complain. But um, but yes, we've we've got an exciting giveaway to kick off the show, though. So as mentioned on last week's show, we we're doing a, a giveaway for uh, for my guest spot in the in the Warrior Bowl 2021. Um, for those of you who don't know, it's it's because I won my division last year that I've, I've got the chance to add somebody into my division as a, as a guest. Um, I've been getting a bit. Well, I just thought I'd want to get my shot in. Um, so it was fantastic. Thank you very much for the interaction and, and the entries. We had over 20 entries in the end. Um, we've, we've just done a live randomizer of the names that entered um, and we're, we're following all the correct accounts. And the winner was uh, at Rob Monk 24. So congratulations, Rob. I will drop you a DM after this pod um, and I'll also message Greg um, and we'll get you added to the league. Um, yeah, and that's that's exciting times, Rob. So I look forward to uh, to competing against you and, and obviously everybody else in the, the Chun-Li division. I've got my draft spot. I'm going to be at the 109. So uh, pretty disappointed, if I'm being honest. Wait, did you did you get your draft spot yet, Liam? I have yeah. Um, I thought I was in the one eleven, but my my one hundred yard rush did a weird thing where the guy that uh, got the eleven spot that wasn't me, he seemed to have finished. The, his guy posed in the end zone and everything, and it popped up with eleven before my guy had even got in the end zone. So I was going off the actual finishes, and according to the order at the end, I was actually tenth. So I'm I'm drafting from the 10 spot one behind you. And Rob, do me a favour and please take down Rich this year so we don't have to hear another year of him going on about winning that division. Well, I'm sure I'm I'm in enough charity leagues this year, Liam, that I'm sure there'll be some sort of league that I get get um you know bragging rights for. So to introduce the subject today, if you've read the title of the pod, you've obviously seen what this is going to be. Um, we're going to talk about contracts in Dynasty and how to use them, what it means. We've talked about contracts over the past couple of weeks, um, more, more of a drop-in uh, comment every so often, but we've never actually explained properly how we use contracts. And when I say we, I mean mostly me and Rich. I know people across the community will use contracts in different ways, but how we use them and I'm going to do a little plug for Rich here. He has his um, Dynasty Survival Kit where he goes through all of the contracts on the current teams uh, in the NFL for all fantasy-relevant players. So if you haven't checked that out, I'm sure Rich will be able to tell you where to plug, uh, find the plug. But yeah, contracts in Dynasty is huge and it gives you a huge edge both in trading um, and drafting. So... Rich, let, let's start with what you find important about contracts and how, how you use contracts in Dynasty. Yeah, so first of all, cheers cheers for the plug. I was going to mention it, but um, <laughs> it's always better when someone else does. Um, so if you wanted, I've got a contractual depth chart in my survival kit, which is my pinned tweet on Twitter. Um, so for me, I think when I'm trying to play Dynasty, I'm, you know, I'm always looking at player values. And I think that for me, I sort of, tapped into contracts probably two years ago as a way of 
essentially trying to gain a little bit of an advantage over everybody else in my leagues, really. And I think that it's still an underused aspect of Dynasty. I think that people don't understand NFL contracts because, let's be honest, they're very confusing. Um, But I also think that people just sort of have short-sightedness when it comes to actually what contract situations mean. And I think people quote age when it comes to players all the time. But actually, if you dig into the contracts, a lot of the time that tells you more than a player's age. So, you know, take, for example, uh, an Ezekiel Elliott with the Cowboys. Now, he'd traditionally be a profile of a player that you'd be expecting to sell based on age, based on, you know, slight downward trajectory of last year, looking at his um, volumes of workloads over the last couple of years. But actually, if you dig into his contract situation, the Cowboys are screwed in terms of they can't move him. So he's not going anywhere for the next two years. So unless the Cowboys are going to do a, you know, like the Rams did with Todd Gurley, where they ended up eating a huge amount of cap, and that's not something the Cowboys traditionally tend to do, um, then I think that Zeke Elliott's guaranteed pretty much to be the lead back in Dallas for those two years which, you know, we always talk about dynasty circles. I'm looking at those two, two to three years. If I can guarantee a running back for two years as the lead back, I think that's, you know, that's for me is, is a bonus. Um, so I think it's just an extra thing that I'm sort of putting a piece in the pie when I'm looking at player values, I guess, is that contract thing. And I don't think at all it is, is discussed anywhere near enough in terms of dynasty circles and, and the community as well. Yeah, so I'm... I'm again with you on this i probably started using contracts midway through last season um i'm a bit behind you and maybe a bit behind the curve on this one but you can just call me old it's fine then (laughs) i didn't go there you went there (laughs) not me um but yeah contracts they they are massively important and people often quote age as a, a big factor in dynasty value and to an extent that's true so contracts realistically uh less important the earlier or the lower age you go um because most players will get through a rookie contract so when they're on a rookie contract you kind of expect four or five years depending on when they were drafted and to go play those those years but as soon as you get out of that first contracts you kind of have to start thinking about when they can get cut um these are all points that we'll go through in a minute but let let's move specifically to positions because you talked about a running back there how do you see different positions and the contracts that are given out so for example running backs you mentioned zeke and i know running backs are a huge asset in any championship roster how do you specifically value different contracts at the running back position specifically? Yeah, so I don't, I don't know, again, if if I'm different to, to other people, but the way I look at it is that quarterbacks are their own kind of special breed. And I don't know if you'd agree, but I feel that quarterbacks are one of two things. They're either on a rookie deal or they're on a massive contract in which they're not moving. And, you know, I've talked quite a few times where I think, those quarterbacks on those rookie deals are overvalued in dynasty because 
that's really the only time when a team can move on from a quarterback. You know, you look at the Falcons and Matt Ryan, there was a lot of talk about, you know, obviously they had a high pick. Could they potentially look at drafting a, a Justin Fields or something like that? And, you know, moving the franchise on. But the problem is, is that with Matt Ryan's contract, it would have cost them something like 45 million to get rid of him. So there, there was no way that he's, he wasn't going to be the quarterback for the next couple of years. So I think that starting with the quarterback position, I think it's, you know, it's, it's very easy to assess because there isn't really a middle ground when it comes to quarterback contracts. I mean, do, do you tend to agree with that? Yeah, I think the only thing I'd add to the rookie contracts or the big contracts is the prove-it deals that we've started to see over the past two years. You've got Cam Newton, James Winston, players like that sign in small incentive-based um, prove-it deals that are even cheaper than a rookie contract on most on the most part if they don't hit their incentive. So I think that's the only part I'd throw in there just so people are aware but they act very similar to a rookie contract in terms of the dead cap involved but they become a lot more volatile because you don't know what's going to happen because they're normally a one two year at maximum deal I also think there's an important change um, this year is that from now on all fifth-year options for first-round picks are now fully guaranteed. So whereas before, over the last, I think it was seven or eight years we've had them, those fifth-year options were only guaranteed for injury. So you could pick up the fifth-year option of a quarterback, take someone, for example, like a um, Baker Mayfield. You could have picked up that fifth-year option. If he was dreadful this year, you didn't have to pay him that fifth-year option next year. Whereas now it's fully guaranteed so if if he's dreadful this year the browns are on the hook for that i think it's 25 million no matter what and there's no kind of backing out of that fifth year option so i do wonder if we'll start to see some of these rookie first round picks negotiate contracts earlier who perhaps aren't locked in you know yes mahomes is going to get a big next contract but i do wonder if we'll start to see some of these rookies get off those rookie contracts earlier, sign those extensions because they've got that extra bit of kind of leverage and negotiating power because that fifth year option is guaranteed. And so I'm conscious you, you asked me about running backs and I've talked about quarterbacks. Yeah, yeah I was going, I was going to a real, you're backing off that tangent. Man. So I think I, I, in my head, I was working through the positions. So I've gone quarterbacks. So now we can talk about running backs. So um, <laughs> yeah. So running backs, I think for me, I, I'm I'm always nervous when a running back gets past that third year. I think that if I can get two to three years of rookie production, that's the point at which I'm looking to sell. But I also think that people have now become aware of the fact that that's when you sell a rookie running back. Do you know what I mean? So I think you you, you people start to get to the third, fourth year extensions coming up and they're like right now now I'm looking to sell and, and you see all the articles of you must sell this guy so actually what I've been doing more is selling the running backs as soon as they've signed that new extension so for example you saw a lot of uncertainty around a guy like Aaron Jones um, over the last year and you've seen his dynasty values probably never reflected his production because there's always been that uncertainty around him 
But for me, the second he signed that contract, he was an immediate sell because people thought he was under contract for four years. You know, the truth is it's actually a, a pretty cheap two-year deal for the Packers. But as soon as that contract was signed, that was it. I was I was off. I was selling. So, yeah, so I think for me, for, for rookie running backs, it's it's just about looking at how well sorry not rookie running backs all running backs it's about looking how many years the team are kind of locked in on and i think that for most players and for most running backs it tends to be the rookie contract and then maybe one or two years after that zeke is the exception and he got an obscene deal at the time Are, are you liam are you are you similar are you looking to sell in that traditional window of as they approach the end of that four-year rookie deal, you're, you're looking to sell. Yeah. So I, I reflect everything that you've just said. I think the dynasty community has got wise to the sell after the third year as they're going into the fourth year. Um, and when we saw a, a lot of the running backs at the start of last year, before the season get those extensions. So, I'm talking Joe Mixon, Kamara, I believe Cook, uh, Dalvin Cook also got an extension before CMC is a big one. Yeah, I think that's the point where I'm looking to sell either before the season when they hit that or, or grab that extension from their team or when they get an extension after the season like Aaron Jones did at the start uh, just before free agency started. I think that's the prime time to sell them because you've got that I suppose it's a little bit of a false security that people feel when someone's got an extension, that it could be a a three, four year extension, but we could have an out after the first one or two. I think that's, that's one of my, my favorite little things is that the, the first time contracts get reported in the NFL, they are always reported as the maximum deal. And everybody takes that as gospel. It doesn't matter. It happens every single time a player is, you know, it happened with Aaron Jones. He signed a four-year deal and everyone's like, oh, wow, he signed a four-year deal for more than if they'd have just tagged him. And then two, three, four days to come along and it's like, oh, actually, it's a two-year deal and the first year is just a little bit over the tag and the second year is like eight million. And it's like, oh, actually, it's not really that great a deal, is it? And I think that for me... I love selling off the back of that hype as soon as the contract is signed. And then once people realize, oh, actually it's not as good a deal as, as perhaps it could be, that's the opportunity that I then try and flip it and then look at buying as, as I think the price then drops down again. Yeah. And I think that's something we need to cover. So if you are brand new to contracts within the NFL, um, you've got what is called a cap hit, um, which is the amount that the player places against the team's um, cap within a, within that season. And then you've got a dead cap, which is how much the player would still count towards the salary cap of that team if he's cut or traded. Um, that can sometimes, the dead cap can sometimes differ. Um, so depending on how the player is play, uh, paid, I'm obviously not claiming to be a contract expert here. Go have a look at YouTube. Go have a look for articles online. They'll break it down much better than I could ever possibly imagine. 
but in basic terms, your a player's dead cap is how much that player is going to continue to play into that team's cap every year. And I think that's a big thing people need to think about is that dead cap can often change and isn't always the same amount as what that player is being paid because of the way the team structure it. And if we go back to the Aaron Jones example, I believe the way that his contract is structured is he's paid quite a bit during the first two years, but his dead cap is really um, high or the other way around. He's not paid that much, but his dead cap's high. And then the further on he gets in his contract, he starts to get paid more and his dead cap comes down. Yeah. Cause so basically the, the dead cap is, it tends to be pro-routed because there's, it's basically guarantees. So the dead cap, so you can guarantee a signing bonus um, and prorate that over four years. Um, but actually then you don't guarantee the salaries in years three and four is, is tends to be the move for most players. So look, I'll be honest, I've been studying NFL contracts for the last like five, six years and it's still mind blowing. There's still so much to learn. So what I tend to do is I just rely on other resources. And I think the guys are over the cap and the guys at Spotrack or Spotrack, however you want to say it, um, do phenomenal work. And if you want to, you know, check them out. That's they're the resources I use, and I think they're fantastic in terms of how they display it and how they, you know, will educate you as to essentially how much it costs teams to get rid of players. Quite frankly, no. So I was going to say, so we've sort of talked quarterbacks and, and running backs for wide receivers and tight ends. Liam, are you are you as focused on contracts at those positions, or, or less so, or? I think you've got to play the contract game in all positions. Certain certain positions, the earlier contracts matter more. So, for example, you're running backs. You tend to look at the first year, the first contract because your lifespan, in quotation marks, of a running back is not very long compared to a right wide receiver. So, the more um, that the younger the running back, the longer you've got on them, kind of, I suppose. But with a wide receiver or a tight end, they tend to play a lot longer into their, or have a longer career. They they tend to play older. So with wide receivers, I tend to see what they've done in their rookie contract. But if they haven't produced during that rookie contract, they probably aren't going to get a brilliant contract after that. And I think the big thing with all contracts across the board is you've got to look at when the dead cap or what the dead cap is hit is each year, sorry. And if there's an out, so and what an out means is a player could have a four-year deal, but after two years, the team could have an out where if they cut or trade said player within a certain time frame or before or after a certain deadline they could have a reduced dead cap hit for that year and it voids the rest of the contract, I believe, Rich. Yeah, so basically the way Spotrack class and out and the way I, I deem it as well is that anyone who has a potential out in their contract, it basically means that if that player is cut or traded, the team will save money. So if you had, for argument's sake, Joe Bloggs is on a $10 million contract, over the next two years so it's five million this year five million next year 
he's got a dead cap hit of seven and a half million this year, but his dead cap hit next year is zero. That means that at the end of this year, he's got a potential out. So whilst he's got a two-year contract, it's actually really only a one-year contract because the team would save money by cutting him next year. Now, obviously, if he's a good player and he's still performing, then they're unlikely to cut him. But I just think that sometimes we need to be aware because every year these players come around where they're surprise cuts and fancy players like, oh, God, I didn't see that coming. Um, and that's where you can kind of beat the the kind of the rest of your league by getting out on players or potentially buying players before these changes in situation happen. Yeah, so just following on from that, really, you've got with wide receiver contracts, you tend to get a, for, for definitely good players or mediocre players, you tend to get a longer contract as a wide receiver or a tight end than you do at the running back position because of the shelf life. But that's where I like to look at the outs and see where that is coming up because that is, you have to, I suppose the way that I play dynasty is I look at the worst possible outcome for a player. And just because someone has a four year deal, I'm probably counting it as a two year deal if they've gotten out after the second year. Is that how you look at them? Look at contracts when there's an out halfway through, or yeah, I mean, t- to be honest, with the wide receiver position, I tend to not really worry about contracts as much, just because the the cliff isn't as real at the position. So, I think whilst you can gain a lot from wide receiver contracts, you tend to find that players will continue to play past any potential out in their contracts whereas at the running back position that doesn't happen anywhere near as much um so i just think that if you can continue to to assess the receiver contracts then go for it but i just don't tend to rely on it as much i think i think running back it's for me is the most important position to to look at for contracts what about tight ends then because we we briefly mentioned tight ends but i think the the wide receiver talk took over because we both we both like wide receivers. Um, but so, yeah, how, how do you feel about the tight end situation with the contracts? Do you tend to put a lot of stock into them? I think sometimes it, it's, it's really dependent because the tight end position is not, a, you know, it's, it's not a normal position. We've obviously got a couple of truly elite guys that are on massive contracts then there's a load of people that are on, you know, rookie contracts. You've got someone like Jared Cook who just goes from team to team on a really small, low-value deal, but is still, you know, fantasy relevant. And it, and then you've got someone like Tyler Higby who's on an absolutely mammoth contract on the Rams, which I've never got my head around when they signed it, and I can't get my head around now, to be honest. Um, so it's difficult to have any kind of hard and fast rules when it comes to, to the tight end position. Um, I do think that the, the rule I'd say with the tight end is, is follow the money. Um, teams that tend to spend on tight ends tend to use them. Um, you know, it was the reason why I was in on Tyler Higby probably a year earlier than, than the rest of kind of the fancy world was because as soon as the Rams signed him to that contract, to me that said, well, Gerald Everett's out the door. Um, they're not going to end up keeping him long-term. And, and it means that Tyler Higby's not going anywhere because they're paying him so much money that they're, they're keeping him and they're going to start using him. So, yeah, I think 
follow the money, but don't get obsessed with out years and, and things like that, because the tight end position is so shallow at the best of times, you know, just, just follow the production, quite frankly. So basically, if we recap all of the positions, on the most part, you are following the big contracts. Is is that safe to assume there? Yeah, I, th- I think that obviously, you know, the big, the big contracts are the generally the big the big assets aren't they they're the most important ones i think you can you can pick up some stuff you know around the fringes you look at you know someone like a james connor for example okay so his his contract is 1.5 million with the cardinals okay that is is not much to me as soon as that contract was announced that said to me that chase edmonds is is the 1a in that offense and i think that connor's been brought in as the backup I think if he'd have signed a you know a, a three four five million dollar deal, we might have been having a different conversation. But I just think that those backup positions are again where I'm following the money, um, and I just think that teams will tell you a lot of the time um, what they think of them. So yes, by all means, those big high price deals are are the important ones, but let's not become just obsessed with them because I think you can pick up some um some nuance from some of the smaller deals okay so we we've i suppose we've hinted at it a little bit but what are your key parts of when when you look at a contract how do you analyze it what are the key factors that you really look at is it those outs because i know that you just said for tight ends don't get hung up on them but do you specifically look at those outs does it change from position to position yeah so it's it's basically it's it's size of contract, you know, what's the average cost per year, you know, a, a team's telling us something. If if a team went out tomorrow and signed a player to a market setting deal, then chances are they're going to use that player. Like the NFL teams, as much as some of them are stupid, they're not all morons in that, you know, if they're spending money on a player, they are going to use him. Take, for example, the Patriots. They spent an awful lot of money on Nelson Aguilar. There's, you know, a lot can be said of that. If they'd waited, you know, 48 hours, could they have saved money there? Blah, blah, blah. But I think that they're telling us they've got a role for him. I think he's going to be a better NFL receiver than a fancy receiver. And I think he's going to be that deep threat role and and not necessarily be a volume-based receiver. But he is absolutely going to have a role and an important role in the offense. And that's the reason why they've gone and spent that money on him. Um, but yeah, then the other two things I'm looking at are dead cap hits. You know, how much does it cost to cut a player? How much can a team save if they move on from a player? And when those potential outs are. Um, because I think that as soon as a player gets past those potential outs where you you can cut a team can cut him for free, you know, you're only a bad, a bad half season, a bad season away from moving on. Um, and, and it can it can you know the cliff can come very quickly in the NFL. You you just stopped there as I'm adding another question to the show sheet because <laughs> I didn't want to blindside you. But as you stopped here, you go. How do you use contracts specifically when you're drafting? So what I'm going to do is I'm going to come back to outside of drafts. But when you're when you're in a startup, for example, because obviously rookies it's slightly different. Everyone's on a four year or five year deal, but specifically for startups how do you use contracts in there do you specifically only draft a certain type of contracts or if people are 
on a two plus year deal do you value those more than others or how how do you look at them within startups should i say yeah so i I guess the true answer is, is i don't because the way i you know create my tiers and my rankings and my values i'm creating an entire picture and i'm taking into account production age situation offense contract to create those tiers and rankings so I've already taken into account the contracts within those tiers and rankings. So I'm, I'm not then sort of double counting as such and then ruling out a player because he's at the end of a contract or something like that. Um, so within a startup, I guess the answer is I'm not looking at contracts because I've already counted it into my rankings. Obviously, if you're not doing your own rankings or tiers it's it's just something again to be aware of if you know if if you're building a a team for the next you know maybe you're you're doing the productive struggle and you're not looking to compete in year one but then you've you've drafted a load of players who are are all in in the final year of their rookie deals or or could be cut next year and and actually you suddenly get a year down the line and realize oh i've i've not (laughs) I've, i've built a team for the next year and, and all the teams those players have now moved in free agency or whatever um but i just think that yeah for me i've, I've already taken that into account i guess is what i'm trying to say okay then let, let's flip it if you're outside of your startup you say you've already done it or you're a year on how do you use the contracts that your players have that other play or other teams or players on other teams have how do you use that to your advantage outside of startups for me, I'm always with the contracts, I'm always just trying to predict six, 12 months ahead of time. If I know, for example, we talked about there's that heading into a final year of a rookie contract for a running back sell window. So a year ahead of time, at the end of the third year, I'm already starting to think about selling. I'm already starting to have those conversations because I'm just trying to preempt that that value change. Um, you could also take it um the other way in that a potential guy in a role that is undervalued at the moment that could see you know an increased role in a new home i'm probably trying to buy those say for example if their contract was up at the end of the year i'm looking to buy them now so that I'm not having to pay a premium when they become a free agent. So for example, let's, let's go Michael Gallup. He had a fantastic first two years in the NFL. He was, you know, a lot of people were calling him that really good receiver to buy. They then went and drafted CD lamb, who was obviously an incredible prospect. And Michael Gallup's kind of fallen down the pecking order. Well, Michael Gallup's contracts up at the end of the year, the way the Cowboys cap structured, you know, NFL caps aren't real. They could potentially do some magic and re-sign him but I fully expect him to be moving on and and becoming potentially the number one receiver in a new offense. So for me, I'm looking at Michael Gallup and at the moment he's a buy for me. And that is nothing to do with what's going to happen in 2021. That's because I'm projecting that he could be a really good kind of candidate once he gets that free agency money. And I'm not projecting that he's going to go and set a record deal, but I could see him doing something like a Corey Davis where he's now the, you know, probably going to be the target leader for the Jets. And we've seen a, yes, it was modest, but we've seen an uptick in his value from six months ago to now. And just because if you jumped ahead of the time 
with Corey Davis and if you do it with Michael Gallup, you could basically see a return in your investment just because you're aware of the contract situation. I think a great example to use not only is Corey Davis, but um, Curtis Samuel. He was the the third fiddle, I suppose, on that um, Carolina Panthers team. And he moved away in free agency and then he's signed not a market setting deal, but it was a small deal to go to the Washington, Washington football team now. Whether Diamond Brown becomes anything is another question. But at the moment, it looks like Curtis Samuel is going to be the number two, at least for this year, if not onwards. So I think that is the sort of play that you're looking to do is pick up a, a player that is on the up, essentially, or has a good upside within the free agency market next year. Um, I'm assuming you do the same on the opposite scale than Rich. If someone currently has a contract and you don't expect them to go um, into a more favourable situation, are you trying to sell at that point? Yeah, I mean, it's it's difficult to, to project because, you know, you how do you know when the, when they're on a team and there's 31 potential teams they could move to, unless they're leaving the Chiefs, it's difficult to say they're going to go to a worse offense. Do you know what I mean? So for example, someone like a Juju Smith-Schuster, okay, last year, he was in the last year of his contract. You could, you could go one of two ways. You could say he was going to a, a new team where he could have been the, the target leader. You know, I think if, if the Dolphins had signed him rather than drafting Waddle and, and spending the money on Fuller, he could have been walking into a role where he was getting 140 plus targets in a probably slightly worse offense, that would have been a, a value spike for Juju Smith-Schuster. But if Juju Smith-Schuster had gone and signed with the Ravens, where, again, he would have been the 1A in the offense, but probably would have got 90 to 100 targets, then that probably would have been a value dip. So I think it's it's just cautious about just because a player's leaving a situation doesn't mean he's going to get a better situation. And we could see the exact same thing with Juju Smith-Schuster. You know, he, again, he's, he's stayed for a year in Pittsburgh. He has got some incredible target competition in terms of Jonte Johnson, who we're expecting to see again, 120, 130 plus targets. Chase Claypool, who is a potential touchdown every touch, every time he gets the ball. They've got two, two decent tight ends. They've got a rookie running back that's shown that he can catch the ball is him signing in Pittsburgh for another year almost worse than if he'd have just gone elsewhere. So I think it's it's difficult to predict dips in value, but it's just about being cautious because whilst you can look at undervalued assets and say, chances are there's going to be a spike, and also you've then got to look at the cost to acquire because the cost to acquire someone like a Corey Davis last year or a Michael Gallup now is significantly less than a... Juju Smith-Schuster, who is still probably costing you a first, despite the fact that he's got that uncertainty of who knows where he's going to be next year, who knows if he you know, signed long-term in Pittsburgh, who the hell's going to be the quarterback there? So I think it's, it's just a bit difficult looking at higher-priced assets, I guess, and saying there will be a dip there. Um, unless it's that you know, running back starting to come towards the the end of that that cliff and you're selling at maximum value 
So is that what you're looking at or, or does that play into any trade negotiations that you have? So say someone comes to you for Juju Smith-Schuster, do you have that uncertainty kind of in the back of your mind when you're trying to deal him? Not necessarily. I think f- for me, and I appreciate I play probably Dynasty a little bit different to everybody and I appreciate everybody plays it slightly differently, but um, my way of playing is that basically every player I have, I have a value on. And if, if you want to know what that is, you can go and look at my survival kit and come and offer me trades based on that. Um, I'm fairly transparent in basically telling you where I value everybody. Um, and, and, and basically, if I'm getting more than I value them, I will accept the trade. If I'm getting less, I will decline it. And yes, there's a little bit of nuance into that in terms of team situation. Am I competing? Am I rebuilding? Where's the age profile of my roster? That kind of thing. But that's pretty much it. So. I'm not necessarily looking at Juju and going, oh, I'm, you know, I don't know where he's going to be in a year. Maybe I'll sell him now. But I have already baked that into his value for me, if that makes sense. And I appreciate that I talked about earlier. It's, you know, I, yes, I do count that contract into his situation, but I count, I've already gone through that process of evaluating his production, his age, his situation, his offense, his contract as such. Okay, so let's move on. So we're going to go through a couple of players that we decided to just take a look at their contracts so you can understand what we've just talked about for the last 40 plus minutes and um, try and put that into a bit of practice. So I'm just going to reel off some names for you, Rich, and let's talk about them. So first on the list is Nick Chubb. So he's coming to the end of his rookie contract. So this goes back to way at the start when we started talking about running backs and coming off their first year, um, their first rookie contract. So he is in his last year, he's going into his last year, should I say, um, where he's earning a base salary of just under three and a half mil um, with a signing bonus that bumps that up to about four and a half. But his dead cap is just under 900,000. So that's a good saving if they wanted to cut him now. He's one of the best <laughs> running backs in the league. So that's not going to happen. So this is what we mean about not worrying too much about top-end assets. But then he's moving into um, a 2022 season, into the 2022 season with no contract at the moment, no extension. So how how are you valuing Nick Chubb at the moment? Are you thinking he's going to get a second contract and a big contract elsewhere? So, I mean, this, this is where we talked about earlier about the dynasty community becoming kind of smart on selling rookies before they hit that end of the rookie contract. And I've heard that for a few players, but I've not heard any talk about selling Nick Chubb based on that. And I'm, I'm a little bit surprised by that because Nick Chubb's value is is pretty high. I, I don't have it off the top of my head in front of me, um, but I presume he's a top kind of five to eight running back in terms of dynasty at the moment. And we're, we're talking of, look, the Browns are, are in a pretty good cap situation. They've obviously got some big names on some big deals. They've got the Baker contract still to come. They've obviously got Miles Garrett and, and a few other stars there. They've got a very expensive offensive line. Could Nick Chubb be the one that's that they don't spend huge money on? They've got Cream Hunt there. 
under contract, could Nick Chubb find himself, you know, the, the next Le'Veon Bell working away on the Jets? Could we see Nick Chubb, you know, on a really poor offence next year? And how much of Nick Chubb's value is the fact that he's running behind the best offensive line in football? So I'm not, absolutely, I'm not going out and selling Nick Chubb just for the sake of it. But if I can sell Nick Chubb at peak value, and, you know, I talked about earlier about having that set value for everybody. And, and if I can get a little bit more than where I'm valuing him currently, then I think you need to be having that conversation because what you don't want to do is be holding the bag on, on Nick Chubb, who could end up in a, a horrific situation next year. Yes, he'd probably get a massive deal. But, you know, the, the value, your asset could completely plummet in value. If you were to, you know, ask me straight up, do I think Nick Chubb is still in Cleveland next year? Yes, I do. I think the Browns would keep him. I think the Browns see themselves as a, you know, a Super Bowl contender for over the next two, three years. And I think they want to keep their best players, of which Nick Chubb is one. But I just think as a dynasty player, you need to be thinking about it and certainly have that in your mind. Yeah, I'm, uh, I don't think I've got anything to add there. <laughs> you pretty much summed it up really well. Um, so let's move to another running back. Now, he was one that was in this exact position last year. Um, he was coming to the end of his rookie contract and no one really knew what was going to happen to him. Everyone thought that they might let him run out of his his contract and just let him walk this or this round of free agency, but that obviously didn't happen. So we're talking about Joe Mixon. He got a contract extension at the start of last year before the season started. Um, so let, let's speak about Joe Mixon. So as I say that, my browser decides to start refreshing so I can't look at the contract. So he's, this, he's the perfect example of never believing the first numbers reported. So he signed a four-year, $48 million deal, okay? People took that as the Bengals have committed to Joe Mixon long-term. You know, he's going to be sewn up in that offense for the next two to three years. Go out and buy Joe Mixon because he's going nowhere. But actually, if, if you look at the deal, details of the deal, he only got $10 million guaranteed. I say only, I mean, that's an obscene number of amount of money. But in terms of NFL contract, that's not a lot. The Bengals could save $3.5 million by cutting Joe Mixon at the end of the season. Okay, Bearing in mind, he's just signed this deal. So, yes, if Joe Mixon performs this year, he is likely to still be in Cincinnati next year. Okay, but if he has an injury plagued year, if he underperforms, there is a chance that Joe Mixon could get cut. Now, I don't think the Bengals will do it because they're cheapskates and they don't tend to like paying players to not play. But I just think, again, this is something we need to be aware of. Joe Mixon isn't as secure in the offense as, you know, people expect. And you know, yes, he could he could stay and, and play next year, but then the year after that, they can save eight million by cutting him. And it, it's just a, something to keep in the back of your mind that we, we need to be aware of these contract situations. Certainly, yeah, I, th I think Joe Mixon's a great example of what we were talking about earlier and looking at the outs rather than the full value of the contract. And another one that's 
um, in the same boat, I suppose, is Amari Cooper. I know you mentioned um, Michael Gallup uh, during the pod earlier on, but Michael Gallup's in a very similar situation. Um, Amari Cooper, sorry, is in a very similar situation. He's gone out after this year. Um, so we could really be looking at either him or Gallup, if not. I'm, I doubt this is ever going to happen, but both could actually walk if the Cowboys decided to cut Amara Cooper and not sign Gallup to an extension. So what uh, I suppose what are you doing with Amara Cooper, Rich? How do you see this contract? Yeah, and I think that, you know, this is one that has certainly been talked about in Dicey Circles an awful lot. I think I feel like everybody knows that Amari Cooper's contract, they can cut him at the end of the year. Um so to give you the facts, they, they can save, is it 16 million by cutting him at the end of the season, I think? Um, the true answer is, unless he completely falls off a cliff, I don't think the Cowboys are going to let him go. I think the Cowboys are going to keep him, and I think that it's going to be Cooper and Lamb moving forward, and Gallup's going to be the one who's shown the door. Um, but again, this is just something to keep in mind, Cooper, you know, a big part of his value is the fact that he's in a pass-first offence with an elite quarterback and he's going to see high, high target volumes. But just keep in the back of your mind, there is a potential that he could be looking for a new job as soon as six months' time. Yeah, um, I believe the uh, total dead cap is six mil down from 28 this year. So I believe it's a 22 mil saving, which is quite a lot considering the cap is, I believe, reported at 185 maximum at the moment. Yeah. Yeah. So there you I go. So if I'm wrong on that. Some, yes. I don't know. <laughs> Something like that. So, I mean, if they're saving a significant amount of money to cut him, you know, obviously you've always got to say, if he's still producing as an elite wide receiver, they're going to keep him. But there is that opportunity that, and, and I guess it's just a, you know, a, a risk kind of assessment on your part of if Amari Cooper was a free agent in the NFL, where would he end up? Would you feel comfortable paying the assets you're paying to, to go and inquiring? And I think that's it is that for me, at the moment with Amari Cooper with this way the situation is I'm I'm not counting his contract that much into this situation because I think that he is gonna be in Dallas long term and I'm I'm not really concerned about it. But that's that's kind of my risk assessment. I'm just I think everybody needs to be doing their own risk assessments in those situations. Yeah, so I'm just going to pick up pick up with something you said there. So if if a player is still producing, he's going to stay with that team on on the most part, unless the team is in such a dire need for cap room that they have to cut a superstar player. Um, but if we bring that to a different situation, so we're going to go over to Minnesota and talk about Adam Thielen now. He is a really good player, and um, he's if not a superstar player. He's now aging. He's, I believe he's 30, nearly 31, or he's just turned 30, sorry. So he's just gone past his out um, after the 2020 season, before the 2021 season. Yeah, so they've they've restructured his deal, which is why his contract's a little bit funky. There, there we go. I, I thought I'd missed something because that was a weird contract. Yeah, so his, so his contract, so he's actually only earning six million this year. But if they cut him this year, 
he would accelerate the future signing bonus onto this year and he would cost them 16 and a half million. So if they were to cut him, this is probably a good point in that Adam Thielen's going nowhere this year because the Vikings aren't going to pay an extra 10 million in 2021 cap to not have Adam Thielen around. So you're fairly confident Adam Thielen's around this year. Okay. Next year, he's got a $16 million contract. Well, it's actually 17 million, but a dead cap hit of only 11 million. So if they were to cut him, they could save 6 million in cap. Now, you've, this is the point at which I guess for, for Adam Thielen, where you're starting to weigh up, is, is, is it worth paying him 17 million to play? Is he good enough to cost 17 million? Or would you rather have no Adam Thielen and 6 million to go and spend elsewhere? Now, the chances are, the answer is probably we'd rather Adam Thielen at 17 million. Okay. But then in 2023, his contract is 18 million, but he'd only cost 7 million if he was cut. So now the question is, would you prefer Adam Thielen age 33 or would you prefer no Adam Thielen and 11 million in contract space? So I guess what I'm saying is that the way I'm reading this situation, and obviously a lot can change, is I think Adam Thielen has got two more years in Minnesota, at least. So for me, I think Adam Thielen has plummeted in terms of his value in the dynasty circles. And I think his, his projected um, kind of dynasty value moving forward is incredibly low. And you, I'm not suggesting you try and sell him because I don't think you can get anything for him. But I do think Adam Thielen is a sneaky little buy because we've just talked through there. I'm fairly confident he's going to be in Minnesota based on his contract for the next two years. I think he's a good enough route runner and a good enough player that he's, yes, he's not going to produce the numbers he's produced across the last two, three years, but I still think he can put up two, two years of, of solid value. Um, and I think basically people don't expect two years of value from, from someone like Adam Thielen. Yeah. I, I can't really add anything to what you're saying because it's all fact it's not opinion it's not like we can really interpret these contracts in much wider scope of variety you, you look at the numbers and the numbers are the numbers we can't do anything about it until those those change so yeah I kind of echo exactly what you say I think he's a great win now piece but I wouldn't be surprised if two years down the line he's either on a Jordy Nelson type deal where he goes and plays for the Raiders or something along those lines, or he's retiring because the Vikings have cut him um, or threatening to cut him. Um, and then I just wanted to talk about one more player. And this was more to bring a quarterback into the mix. Now I don't really like talking about this player at the moment because <laughs> it's Aaron Rodgers and it makes me sad every time we have to mention his name on the pod. Um, but I'm going to let you take this one away, Rich. I'm going to remove myself from the bias and let you handle this, this one. Yeah. So I think this, this is a contract I've probably talked quite a lot about on, on kind of Twitter and, and those sort of things. And I think that, if you look at the Aaron Rodgers contract, as, as soon as they drafted Jordan Love, you basically knew that Aaron Rodgers had at least two years in Green Bay. And I think that this is the reason why he's currently 
throwing his little tantrum. It's less about the fact that they've drafted Jordan Love. And it's the fact that at the end of this year, Aaron Rodgers basically loses all leverage. And now is the only opportunity he's got to have any leverage. So his contract at the moment, he's getting paid $37 million this year. He's got a $38 million cap hit, dead cap hit. So the Packers are, are basically net even if they moved on. So they're not going to move on from him. But next year, he's got an almost $40 million cap hit. But the Packers would only be on the hook for $17 million if they cut him or indeed traded him. So the Packers can save $23 million by moving him. So if Aaron Rodgers performs this year, performs well, but the Packers then decide, you know what, we're pulling the plug on Aaron Rodgers, we're going to trade him, and we're going to go with Jordan Love, the Packers are in a really good situation from a cap perspective because they've not got this massive contract that they're going to have to eat a load of money in order to trade Aaron Rodgers. So to me, this situation, I think, unless they offer him or unless they re-sign him to a bigger deal and a longer-term new contract, I see this situation playing out as Aaron Rodgers is going to be the quarterback in Green Bay for 2021. But I'm far less certain that he's going to be the quarterback in 2022. And I think that if you look at his contract, you could have predicted this last year. And you're already sort of saying, right, Aaron Rodgers could be in a new team next year. Is that going to be better than his current situation in Green Bay? And I think that, again, this is trying to look into contracts and trying to kind of foresee where players are going as such. Yeah, so as soon as Love was drafted last year, um, I immediately went to Rodgers' contract and saw the exact same thing we're talking about now. I didn't think that this was going to happen to the whole off-season, him threatening to hold out, I suppose, without saying those words. I didn't think any of that was going to happen, but... I did kind of think and if we want to move on, we've got two years of Aaron Rodgers left and then that's it. Of course, we're not saying that Aaron Rodgers isn't going to be a Green Bay Packer for the, until after the 2023 season. But we're saying that if they're going to move on, the most likelihood, uh, the most likely chance is it's going to happen after this season. It really depends on what love looks like during the preseason and what Rodgers does this year I think is the best way to put it and to everyone that was saying Rogers was going to opt out I don't think that was ever an option for him because an opt-out would have just pushed the contract back an extra year and he wouldn't have got paid much this year but he would have still been in this exact same situation next year so it wouldn't have solved anything it would have just pushed everything back a further a further year so he'd have been in the worst situation because Jordan Love would have had a year of, of starting under his belt so he'd have had even le- even less leverage. You know, as I said, this is the only time Aaron Rodgers is going to have any leverage. He's coming off an MVP season where he threw 48 touchdowns or whatever it was. And he knows that unless he holds out, unless he gets a new contract, chances are he could be looking for a new job. And it's the Packers that hold and decide when rather than him. And I think that that's the, the problem is that he wants to be in control of when he finishes playing in Green Bay and, and the way his contract is set up after this season, he he doesn't hold that decision. Yeah, and whatever happens with Rodgers, I suppose by the start of the season, will probably determine what love, what happens with Love as well, um, both contract-wise and what you need to do in your dynasty leagues. Um, 
I suppose, Rich, that kind of covers everything contracts-based that we could think of. Um, I'm going to hand it back over to you because from what I can see on the show sheet, you've got an exciting thing to talk about. Yeah, so um, so as of today, we are launching the uh, the Five Yard newsletter. Um, so you can sign up to it, check out the, the Five Yard Rush Twitter account. We've just tweeted out the sign-up form. Uh, or indeed, you can you can just DM us your name, email address. Um, we'll also get something put up on the website. Um, it's basically, we're going to be producing a weekly newsletter covering giveaways, any any big news from Five Yard Rush, but also um, really pointing you to the in-season content. And, and the idea of this is that we want to make sure you're being, you're getting access to the, you know, the I stream the stream articles, the, the start sits, the buy sells, all of that great content that we produce in season. Um, but rather than going to have and find it, it's hopefully going to be sat in your inbox. So, uh, so yeah, sign up um, and we will um, get that rolling as of next week. But thank you ever so much for your time today, guys. I appreciate it. it was a slightly different pod. Um, I know me and Liam, it's, it, as we said, it's something we enjoy and something we look at. So we wanted to try and give you a whistle-stop tour and, and something that, that we look at. But thank you very much. Um, and we will see you again next week. HIV is still an issue in Montgomery County. The more open we're able to talk about HIV, we treat it like any other health prevention. PREP stands for pre-exposure prophylaxis. People who are not HIV positive who may be at high risk for contracting the disease. This is a good choice for you. It's just a way for you to sort of take control and say, I'm going to do this to protect myself. Do it for them. Do it for you, Montgomery County. Learn more about PREP, the HIV prevention medication. Visit doitforyoumc.org. 
That's stamps.com code program.